And Lord, I pray that as we dig into your word this morning, you would prepare our hearts as we talk about suffering. God, that you would just speak to us as your people. And Lord, let our, let our thinking about suffering be informed not by the culture, not by TV, but by your word and what you have to say to us. Let us think biblically. Let us think the way that you think. So Lord, help us to do that. Soften our hearts. Open our eyes to see. And Lord, I pray that we would, in the midst of all of this, Lord, see Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. I just want to give you just a, a heads up with where we're going as a church for the next couple of weeks. We're starting a series on suffering, as you can tell by some of the songs we sang and just us talking about it. So we're starting a series this week, and it's going to be a five-week series on suffering. And we're going to hear just a couple of different people share about some of their experiences in life and the way that God has spoke to them and used um, suffering in their lives. And so this week I'll be sharing. And then next week we have Ian Raleigh from England coming over to share with us. The week after that, Brian Hogelworth will be sharing with us. The week after that, we have uh, a dear brother and a dear friend from um, Gary. It's Pastor and Gary who will be sharing with us on that Sunday. Then the week after that, my dad will be sharing. And so I'm not going to be at the pulpit for the next month, but I will be here every Sunday, the Lord willing, and uh, just enjoying hearing what the Lord is doing. In the meantime, I'll be preparing for the series we're going to do on Luke. So after that's done, in the beginning of of April, we're going to start a series on the, the book of Luke. And in doing that, it's going to, we're going to spend quite a bit of time in Luke. And I'm excited about that. I feel like for us to really, let's, let's see what Jesus is doing. Let's hear what Jesus is saying. Let's, let's just take in all that Jesus is in the book of Luke. And so I'm excited about that. But I, I need, I'm going to have a lot of time to put into that. And so um, the Lord willing, we'll, we'll see that happen in the beginning of April. So that's where we're, that's kind of where we're headed as a church. A couple other things I just want to bring to your attention before I, I dig in. We have a, a dear brother of ours from India coming over named Joel Onesimus, and he is going to be sharing uh, at Living Word on a couple Sundays from now, but he'll also be with us as a church for our, the next prayer and worship night, which I believe is March 16th. And it's a Wednesday night. And he's going to come across, and God has, this guy is just, he's just awesome to hear what the Lord has done. He does a lot of, of outreach to um, temple prostitutes in India and some other things, and just, God has used him in just a powerful ministry. And so he's really got a heart for the Lord that is just awesome, and he, he leads a number of churches, and just, the guy's just a powerhouse. And so we get to have him, have him with us on a Wednesday night. So I'd encourage you. I know it's probably, you know, three, three, four weeks away. Mark that day in your calendar. You don't want to miss the time we have with him. God, I believe, will speak through him to us. And so let's make sure we're there for that. Okay. Suffering. Suffering. An inescapable reality of life. I looked up the definition of suffering this week, and this is what it said. An experience or to be subjected to something bad or unpleasant. And suffering makes people uncomfortable even just talking about it. Say, we're going to talk about suffering this week, and it's kind of like, 
oh, great. I just can't wait. Let's hear a sermon about suffering. And we really, we avoid talking about it. We try to avoid thinking about it. We don't like to talk to people who are talking about the suffering in their own lives sometimes. And it's hard. It's hard. So what we do is we come to church and we put on our happy face and we come in and how are you doing? I'm doing great. Life is good. God is good. We don't ever really let people into the things that are going on in our world, in our lives. And I want for us as a church to be prepared for the inevitable. I want us to be prepared for the inevitable. Suffering is, 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 is a reality of the human existence. We all go through different measures of it at different times, different seasons, some much more than others, but it's inevitable for all of us. I had an uncle who, when I was talking with him, he's getting older, and I said, how come you don't really go to the doctor very often? He says, I don't like going to the doctor because he always tells me there's something else wrong with me. That's why I just don't go anymore. I'm like, it's great. But he's dead. So it didn't really work out for him too well. Um, But when we talk about suffering, sometimes we have this mentality that, you know what, if we just don't talk about it, if we don't think about it, if we don't prepare for it, then guess what? It's not going to happen. It's going to go away. It's not going to be that big of a deal. And so we kind of put it off as much as possible and kind of push it away. But as, as I begin to think about our church and the, the, just the makeup of the, the ages in our church, we don't have a ton of just really old people in the church who are going to, who are going to, who are going to be in a season of preparing for death. And we've got, we got a bunch of young people here. And so the, the things that we're going to be dealing with as young people in terms of suffering is, is not going to be the, hey, we're getting old and you know, getting ready for death. It's going to be the sudden illness. It's going to be the phone call from the doctor we didn't expect. It's going to be the death of a child or a sickness of a, of a child that we just don't know, how, we don't know what to do with that. And so for us, I think it's important that we begin to understand biblically what God says to us about suffering so we can be prepared. And you all know that when in the midst of, of crisis is probably not the best time to try to work out our theology or try to understand what's going on that's much better and a better way to do this before that even happens. It's being prepared. God, what does your word say? So when that day comes, when that phone call comes, I, God, I know what to do. I know where to turn. I know the things that you're saying to me in the midst of this. I believe that's what God would have us prepare for. I think a lot of times for... For us, we make very careful plans for retirement. We start talking about retirement earlier and earlier and earlier and making sure 401Ks are, are, are getting you know, contributed to and the Roth IRAs and all these things. Are, we're taking care of our retirement. And this is like just what everyone says in the world, take care of your retirement. So the last 10 or 15 years of your life, it's going to go well for you and, and you'll have enough money and funds to do the things that you always wanted to do and take that vacation house in Florida and walk down the beach. So we make all these careful plans, all this saving, all this, all this looking ahead and getting ready. And I think, 
Are we, getting, are we preparing ourselves for what's going to happen maybe tomorrow or the next month or the next year? Are we looking forward to what could, ha- what could be right around the corner for us instead of what's ahead for us 40 years from now? Even thinking about eternity. We don't talk about death much. We don't like death. We don't like talking about death. But how many of us have made plans for eternity? We spend, la- we spend 40 years preparing for the last 10 or 15 years of our life if we get those. But what happens after those 10 or 15 years? So I want us to be prepared for what God has in store for us. I was talking with a friend of mine a few years ago. He was describing to me kind of his viewpoint of God. What is God like? What, what is God, what is he all about? And his understanding of God was that God was there to make me happy. That was God's whole purpose was my happiness. And I thought, in America, to some extent, as a young person in the prime of their life, that may work for a little bit. But what happens with when you have a chronic illness or pain that doesn't go away or your spouse gets an illness? What happens then? Well, I thought God was supposed to make me happy. I thought God existed for me, for my happiness. But now there's things in my life that are, are, are telling me otherwise. I don't know what to do now. How do I reconcile this understanding of, of, of the way I've understood God with, with reality in life? And so for him, it's, it's, it's a hard place to be when that phone call comes. I want us to understand what is God like in the midst of all these things. And so in this series on suffering, we're going to spend five weeks. I'm not going to be able to answer all the questions today. This is just kind of the, the primer to it. But I want to read us a quote from John Piper out of his book, The Sovereignty of God in Suffering. He writes this, The church has not been spending its energy to go deep with the unfathomable God of the Bible. Against the overwhelming weight and seriousness of the Bible, much of the church is choosing at this very moment to become more light and shallow and entertainment-oriented, and therefore successful in its irrelevance to massive suffering and evil. The popular God of fun church is simply too small and too affable to hold a hurricane in his hand. So our goal as a church is not just to be an entertainment church for you to come in every week and us just to give you some nice stuff and leave with a smile on your face and life is good. Our desire as a church is to equip you and to share with you the reality of Almighty God, the God who holds a hurricane in His hand. It's to equip you to know God, to share with you what God is like, the God of the Bible, not the God of the bestsellers in the Christian bookstore, but the God of the Bible what he's like, who he is. So that is my desire for us as a church, for us to be prepared for suffering, okay? All right. I want to talk a little bit about suffering the way we see it in the Bible. And I think often in our American church, American reality, we, as we think about suffering and, and pain and evil, 
we, we, can, we can get this wrong idea that if you have enough faith, if you do things just right, if you're obedient enough, then bad things won't happen to you. You won't experience suffering. If you have just enough faith. And if you go to the, the best-seller at the Christian bookstores, you're going to see some of the stuff is being peddled as Christian understanding. There's a book out called Your Best Life Now. That doesn't make sense unless you're going to hell. God hasn't made us for our best life now. He's made us for our best life after we die. Our best life isn't for today. Our best life is for eternity. So he's preparing us for that. But I want us to see in suffering that this is a reality, not only of our own selves and our own lives, but this is a reality. This is a reality of the biblical saints. As you look through the pages of Scripture, we're going to find time and time again the people who have, who have, who have walked with God, the people who have, who have been the ones who, who the Scriptures are being written about have suffered tremendously. I don't know if I can find someone in here who has not experienced some degree of suffering. Almost without fail, every single one, every single one of them have experienced suffering. I just want to look at a couple of these just to bring our attention to them. We think about the book of Psalms. And the book of Psalms has, has, has reached out and has ministered to people over the ages, over the centuries, over the millennia. The book of Psalms has been so precious to us. Over one-third of the Psalms are considered Psalms of lament. And that is an expression of prayer in the midst of deep sorrow. Over one-third of the songs of the Psalms are expressions of deep sorrow. One-third. Can you imagine if every Sunday we, we came, you came in and two out of the five songs we sing on a Sunday morning were these expressions of great sorrow and pain? think, man, that's kind of weird. What are you guys doing? Let's make me happy. But this is the reality of, 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 of the Psalms, of the psalmist, the writers. This was, this was their reality. There was pain. We read about King David in his life. He experienced tremendous sorrow, tremendous suffering on the run for his life, betrayed by those closest to him. The guy experienced some tremendous suffering in his life. Let's turn over to Job. If you're not quite sure where Job is, it's right before the Psalms. Look at Job 1. starting in verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth? a blameless and upright man, 
who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job not fear God for no reason? Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? Have you blessed the work of his hands? And his possessions have increased on the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Verse 13. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell upon them and took them and struck them down, struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the younger people, the young people, and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Now we skip down to the second chapter. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? He still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, all that a man has he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh. And he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand. Only spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we, shall we receive good from God, and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. So the biblical account of Job, who was a righteous man before the Lord, terrible, intense, unbelievable suffering that he had experienced in his life. Then we look down at Joseph. Some of you are familiar with the life of Joseph in Genesis. Joseph was 
one of 12 sons of Jacob. And Joseph was his daddy's favorite. And so Joseph was a young man who who the, the, his dad, Jacob, just lavished him with, with, with his nice coat. And just, man, Jacob was, was just into his son, Joseph. And because of that, the other 11 brothers were furious. They didn't like the fact that Joseph got all the attention, got the nice jacket. And so what happened was, is Jacob sent Joseph out to check on his brothers one day. And Joseph checking on his brothers, they decide, his 11 brothers decide, well, you know, here's what we're going to do. We're going to uh, kill Joseph now and be done with him because we're sick of him. But the oldest brother, he gets a conscience and says, you know, we're not going to kill him. How about we just sell him to our relatives as a slave? Let's do that instead. Okay, so they agree it's a good idea. Let's sell Joseph as a slave to our relatives, and they do that, which he makes his way down to Egypt. Now, in slavery, he works for um, one of the one of the officials of the, the king of Egypt. And in this, he was a slave for this guy for 11 years. Then after that, Joseph, who was a young man, now he's about 28 years old, comes into the house of his master's, with it, where his master's wife is, and the master's wife falsely accuses him of rape, gets sent to prison for two years. So here Joseph is, just minding his own business one day, Brothers, take hold of him, sell him into slavery. He's a slave in Egypt for 11 years. Gets falsely accused of rape, goes to prison for two years. And at the age of 30, he's able to interpret a dream by Pharaoh. Gets out of prison. And God works all these things out in his life. But here's a guy who who just following what God's given him to do, and just the worst possible things happened to him. Accused of rape, going to prison, sold into slavery for 11 years. Those are, those are, that's a long time of suffering. It's a long time. So now let's skip, let's skip down to the, the New Testament. So we see some of that in the Old Testament. Those are just a few things that we see. Joseph and, and Job look much look different. But now we're going to look at the Apostle Paul. Turn to 2 Corinthians. Apostle Paul was, 2 Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul was just an incredible, he wrote many books in the New Testament, was, was one of the, just the catalyst for just the, the spread of the gospel across the world. He was just, man, this guy was, was on fire for God and I want to read about some of his experiences as someone who had great faith, followed God, wrote books in the Bible, First or 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 28. This is what it reads. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a, like a madman with, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, 
danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me from my my anxiety for all the churches. Here's the Apostle Paul, godly man, full of faith, under incredible suffering. And this is this was written prior to his shipwreck that we read about in Acts 27. And so when he says, I've been shipwrecked three times, he's been, if he were to rewrite that, including the Acts 27, which he wrote this before that happened, it's now four times. This guy's been shipwrecked four times. You're never going to want to go near this guy in a boat. Okay, this guy's got just the most unbelievable stories of his life. In 2 Corinthians 1, 8 and 10, he says this. He's writing to the church in Corinth again. He says, man, we've had such burdens on our life that we despaired even unto life itself. And this guy had a reality of suffering. So much so. And he says, man, we despaired even unto life. That's how bad it's gotten. That's how bad it's gotten for him. Not only that, but we also see our own Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to read for you out of Isaiah 53. You don't have to turn there. This is Isaiah 53, 1 through 6. This is the prophet Isaiah writing about Jesus. Who has believed what he has heard from us? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he, has, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, and we have, we have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's Jesus suffered greatly. For those people who would say, if you have enough faith, you don't have to suffer. What do you do with Jesus and Paul, Joseph, Job? What do you do with them? There's nothing you can do. This is the reality of not only our lives, but even the lives of the the greatest saints in the Bible that we read about and Jesus Christ himself. Jesus bore our sin upon his body He was the one who deserved no suffering at all, but yet took it upon himself because of our sin and our suffering. All right. Well, I want to just, I know time is wrapping up, and I want to go through just a couple more things. But as I was thinking about this this morning, you know, we think, well, what's our our hope then? What are we going to do? We do with the suffering. Talk about suffering. What, where's our hope in suffering? I'm going to read first out of Revelation 21. Our hope is 
is God would be with us in the midst of suffering on this, in, this, in this life. But our ultimate hope for the end of all suffering doesn't come on this, on this earth. This is what John writes in Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And this is what, this is what God's going to do. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. This is our hope. Our hope is not that our lives would, be, would, be, would, would not have any suffering in it today, but that for all of eternity we would be with Almighty God, who wipes away the tears. Death will be no more. Pain will be no more. Sorrow and grief will be no more. We'll be with Jesus and see him face to face. This is our hope. This is our eternity. This is what we're living for. We're living for that. I just want to share one more passage with us and we looked at suffering being a reality of our lives this morning. We looked at suffering being the reality of the, of the biblical writers and the people we see in the Bible. It was their reality. But in the midst of all this suffering, what do, we, what do we know about God? We know first and foremost that God is in control. That God is in control. That all these things that we see happening, that God is yet in control. I'm going to read Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. Ephesians 1, 15 through 23 reads this. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet, Christ's feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Christ is head of all things. God put, God put everything under Christ's feet, Christ rules and reigns over everything. He is in control. I've got a few more things, and I know time is running out. Um, Maybe we'll we'll include these scriptures with the announcement Jane emails out. 
but not only is God sovereign over all things, but more specifically, God is, God is in charge of all things on the earth. Isaiah 49, 46 reads this, I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. That is a promise from the Lord. Psalm 35, whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth and in the seas and in the deeps. God is sovereign over the devil. God is sovereign over our lives. God is in control. We see in Romans 8, 28, God works to God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. It's God's promise to us that he is in control and he's orchestrating all these things for our good. We may not see what that means. I think in the, in the story of Joseph, it's clear to look back and say, surely God was saving a people for himself. It's clear. Sometimes in our suffering in our life, we don't see, God, I don't know how you're working this out for my good. I don't know how this is going to work. We know that God is in control and we know that God loves us and he sympathizes with us and he cares for us and he's with us right in the middle of all of it. We as God's people, we need to run to him. We need to trust him. We we need to be reassured that when that phone call comes, God, I don't understand it, but I know that you are in control. I know that you are in charge and I know that nothing is outside of your control. I want to just encourage us with that this morning. As we, as we close up, as we partake in communion together, I want to just, if anyone here today has something you just want to get prayed for after church, if you've got an amount of suffering in your life or things that you just, you just need someone to pray with you, we'll be up here to pray for you. But we want just to continue to go back to God because He is the one who is there for us and He's in control. Let's pray. God, thank you that you are in control. Lord, that you hold the the nations, you hold our government, you hold our lives in your hands. And Lord, you are powerful and mighty and, and able to save and deliver. So Lord, we just commit ourselves to you. Lord, help us to help us to continue to walk in your ways and trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen.